So church, today uh, we come to the last sermon in our worship series, um, Best of All. For the last several weeks we've been looking at who we are um, as followers of Christ in our little Methodist branch of the family tree. And this morning we come to the last week in that series. You know that Steve and I were away on a Wesley study tour in June for the first couple of weeks. We were leading a group of Methodist ministers in Florida on this uh, endowed trip. Um, and then as we were over there, we just thought we want to come back and we want to share with everybody about um, the, the powerful roots that we have and the incredible impact um, of, of this Methodist part of, of the family tree. Uh, we've also had some of you ask us, well, hey, what about taking a group from Trinity on a trip like this? And, and we would be happy to do that. So if you are interested in doing that, please just let one of us know, and we'll look toward um, doing that probably in the middle of 2023 or if we have to, waiting until 2024. Um, but that would be a wonderful thing to do. And for those of you who are with us online, if you don't live here in the community and you want to connect with Trinity, that would also be a great opportunity for you to travel with some folks from Trinity and to be able to connect. Um, so as we have said for the last several weeks, John and Charles Wesley never wanted to start uh, a new church. They were Anglican priests and they wanted to revive the Church of England. But as Steve said last week, John Wesley sometimes was dr drug, uh, kicking at drug, dragged, 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 drug, I don't know. Anyway, kicking and screaming. He was pulled kicking and screaming into places that he never wanted to go. One of which was preaching in the fields. Another was caring for prisoners and caring for the poor. And, and more and more in his lifetime being an outspoken opponent of slavery. And starting these religious societies societies, groups of people that met together, and it's those societies that ultimately led to the beginning of a new church or a new denomination. You know, Wesley was known for his preaching, and as a result of his preaching, many conversions took place. But the movement was sustained and had lasting impact not only because of, but, but even more importantly um, than the preaching, because of Wesley's emphasis on the growth and nurture of people through small groups following his preaching. So get this, one of my seminary professors wrote this. <clears throat> Methodist preaching at typical open-air meetings, field, field preaching, ended not with an altar call or a count of the number of conversions, but with an announcement of where the local Methodist society met and an invitation to attend these meetings. Not, not with an altar call, but an invitation to take the next step and to go to one of these society meetings not high society, but groups, meetings. 
So this morning we're going to take a look at these societies, at the importance of meeting in small groups, and how truly we are better when we're together. Our scripture reading is from the book of Hebrews. It was originally written as a sermon, the book of Hebrews was, um, probably somewhere in the first century. And the preacher has important words to say to the congregation. Now his sermon was 13 chapters long. Mine will not be. Um, but he was writing this because he had this concern about the churches uh, waning in their commitment and in their enthusiasm. They didn't seem to him to see the purpose of meeting together and the necessity of doing faith together. They think they can just go it alone. But this is what the preacher of Hebrews has to say to them. <clears throat> and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this morning, uh, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And let's pray together, and I invite you to pray for me in sharing this message with you as I pray for you, that God, um, that you will be open to God speaking a word specifically to you this morning. Let's pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the question is, can you be a Christian and not be a part of a community of faith? The preacher of Hebrews would say no. John and Charles Wesley would both say, no. All of those would say that although Christ has done his work of salvation in us, we must continue to do our work by provoking one another to love and good deeds and not neglecting to meet together. There's one experience that Wesley had early on um, that shaped uh, who he was and how he thought about this. It was, it was something that he wrote about in his journal. He said it happened in 1728 when he was still living in his hometown of Epworth. And he traveled some distance. He said to see a person who he thought was a very serious man. And this man said to him, Sir, you wish to serve God and go to heaven. Remember, you cannot serve God alone. You must therefore find companions or make them. The Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. Companions. We must therefore make companions or find them. Companions for the journey, because the Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. A year later, Wesley returned to Oxford and began to take 
to heart that advice. And then about 10 years later, his commitment in finding companions for himself and others began to take shape in a different way, in a more organized, or we might say methodical, remember the Methodists were methodical people, that's where we got the name, uh, and he began this, um, these groups in a very methodical way. He wrote in his journal, in the latter end of the year 1739, eight or ten persons came to me in London who appeared to be deeply convinced of sin and earnestly groaning for redemption. They desired, as did two or three the next day, that I would spend some time with them in prayer and advise them how to flee from the wrath to come, which they th saw as continually hanging over their heads. He then goes on to talk about how they decided to meet together weekly on Thursday evenings for a time of support, accountability, and prayer. This, he writes, was the rise of the United Society. Again, he didn't think of it as a different church, but a part of the Church of England. First at London and then in other places. Such a society, he says, is... None other than a company of persons having the form and seeking the power of godliness, united in order to pray together, to receive the word of exhortation, and to watch over one another in love, that they may help each other to work out their salvation. It sounds a lot like what the preacher of Hebrews said, to provoke one another to love and good deeds, to work out their salvation. You know, that word provoke is an interesting one. It's a translation of a Greek word which can also be translated as to irritate or to pester. It's actually more often used in that sense. Here the preacher is exhorting us to provoke one another in the most positive of ways. Um, and to do that as we meet together. And as we meet together to provoke, to pester, to irritate one another toward love and good deeds. You know, we live in a culture that promotes personal piety, personal faith. We assume that a person's faith is, and the way that they live out their faith, is a personal matter between them and God. You know, we have this me and God stuff, me and God. We leave it to them and God. Today there is little or no um, communal accountability. But the Hebrews preacher calls us to just that kind of accountability. In the South we have this phrase, now you've gone to meddling, right? But that's what the preacher is calling us to do. He wants us to move into the territory of Christian meddling. Because that is how we provoke one another to love and good deeds. We can't do it alone. We truly are better together. Wesley would say the same. These societies he established were so popular that they continued to grow until they were no longer small, a small group but a large group. And so then he divided them into groups of 12 people with one leader. And then also into Bands, which were the same gender of just five or six people, B-A-N-D-S, bands, small groups. Wesley gave them direction, directives on how and when to meet. To meet once a week, at the very least, 
to come punctually, to begin exactly on the hour, to speak the true state of one's soul, to end every meeting with prayer. And then he actually urged those groups to do what we would call meddling. He prescribed possible questions for them to ask one another based on James 5.16. Probably 15 or 20 questions from James 5.16 which says, Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. And then he went on to say that at least these five questions should be asked every time a group meets. Now, if these aren't meddling, listen to them. What known sins have you committed since our last meeting? What temptations have you met with? How were you delivered what have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt whether it be a sin or not? And we'll help you discern. Have you nothing you desire to keep secret? Because a secret might involve some kind of sin. How do those sound to you? A little meddling? Mm-hmm. But get this, it is estimated that by the time of Wesley's death, late in the 18th century, more than 10,000 people met weekly in Methodist class meetings in England. More than 10,000 people. In fact, because these societies were not allowed to meet in the Church of England, they weren't sanctioned by the Church of England, that was one of the reasons that Wesley had to build what he called the New Room in 1739 so that it could house some of these bands and classes and societies. He bought a piece of property in an area of Bristol known as the Horse Fair. Here's a, a photo of the courtyard as it is now with a statue of John Wesley on, on horseback. And then Wesley built on that site a multi-purpose space that was to be called the New Room. It was not a creative title by any means, but it was the New Room that was being built. Um, it was rebuilt just a few years later afterwards. Um, and how it was rebuilt is how it stands today, at least the, the primary space. So this is a view of Steve standing in the pulpit and you're... And Stand, from the perspective of standing on the floor in that space. And you can see that there's a balcony. The balcony goes all the way around. So this is the one standing in the balcony and looking down onto the floor. Um, and you can see Steve was in the pulpit before and I'm in the pulpit there. And then this next one is actually from the pulpit. If you're looking out, this is what you would see. And those were removable benches. So it would be a totally flexible kind of space. The space was multifunctional, so it could be used for worship, for societies, for meetings, for classes and bands, for outreach to the poor, for educating children, for health care, for those in need. And then it also had third floor accommodations above the balcony level that was to house traveling preachers, had a sleeping room for Wesley, and a room where he could meet to counsel pastors and leaders. It remains the oldest United Methodist building or structure in the world, built in 1739. 
What Wesley knew was that people needed a space to be able to meet together, to be able to pray together, to be able to encourage one another and to watch over one another, to provoke one another to love and good deeds. You know, I was in my first small group <clears throat> when I was in high school here in Gainesville and here as a part of Trinity. You all know that I grew up here in town and I grew up as a part of Trinity. And my youth director at the time started us in small groups all those many years ago. Um, we met once a week in the home of our leader and there were um, about eight or ten of us who were teenage girls. We always met and had a time of Bible study or studying through a, a book that we were reading and then we would have some individual time where each person could share uh, and and share about their lives with the group. No, we couldn't interrupt if we were not speaking and we could not offer advice. It was a time for that person to share and so that we could all um, help hold that person accountable and pray for that person. Looking back now, I am clear that that band of girls, and that's exactly what it was called, bands of girls and bands of guys, B-O-G, um, those group, that group for me was incredibly formative in my life and in my faith. And almost without fail since then, I have been a part of a small group. Uh, in, in seminary, I was a part of a small gr group of women who were in the church. In churches after that, along the way, I, I led long-term groups like Disciple Bible Study or Companions in Christ that went for nine months at a time. Um, in our previous setting, before we left there, we started a life group that met in our home every Sunday evening. And then not long after we got here, we did the same. We started a small group that meets in our home, four other couples. We have dinner every Sunday evening, and then we do a Bible study or work through some kind of book together and pray together every Sunday evening. Now, I'll just tell you, when I leave here on Sundays... I'm pretty whipped, and all I want to do is go to the couch and stay there. But I know that this is important for me and for my life and faith, and therefore I get up and get ready and participate in this life group. There's a quote from Charles Wesley, and it kind of says the same. Because, you know, once, once I am there and once I am with my group, um, those individuals are precious to me. And what we share with one another is precious. And we pray together and we pray for one another. And we hold one another accountable. And we may even do a little bit of meddling sometimes. But that's an important part of my life and faith and being accountable. So there's this quote from John uh, Charles Wesley and he talks about um, meeting with some bands. He had preached that morning at a place called Weaver's Hall. Then he preached in the evening at Kingswood, probably got to and from those places on horseback. And in between, he went to the new room in Bristol to meet with several bands. Now, I can imagine that he must have been exhausted. And as he went, he knew that after those band meetings, he wasn't done. He was going on to preach again. And this is what he says. We were all of one heart and mind. I felt all at once into the strict, strictest intimacy with these delightful souls. And I could not forbear saying, 
it is good for me to be here. So this week, I invite you to pray about not neglecting to meet together. To pray about being part of a small group. Next Sunday after worship, we're going to have a big celebration. It's kickoff Sunday, the beginning of school starting, UF and Santa Fe and, and Alachua County schools. Everything's starting up again, and we're going to have food trucks outside, and we're going to have tables, tabling. And one of those tables will be about small groups. And if you are not a part of a small group already, or if you want to be a part of another, I invite you to pray about that. These small groups, whether it's a Sunday morning class, a Sunday school class, whether it's one that meets uh, at another time during the week after Wednesday uh, dinners, um, whether you want to be a part of a life group or start a life group, I invite you to pray about doing that um, because we know that it is better for us to be together and so I ask you to pray about that, to get ready to commit, to be a part of a group because we are better together. You know, there's a story about a pastor who went to the home of one of his parishioners. Uh, he had not seen that person in quite a while, either in worship on Sundays or at, at any kind of smaller group during the week. And it was a cold uh, day and he went inside and there was a fire in the fireplace and the pastor and the parishioner just sat down in front of the fire and began to talk and and the parishioner immediately was kind of defensive and and you know just without the pastor saying anything said but you know I, I'm, I'm just so tired on the weekends I've got things to do and 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 I just need a little bit of time to myself and and you know I'm not there for for Wednesday night stuff because um, uh, you know I, I've been at work all day and and my job is it's just has a lot of responsibility and a lot of stress and and so I haven't been coming on Wednesday nights and and you know I, I'm fine I'm fine me and God we're we're doing okay and I can be a Christian even if I'm not a part of the community well as he's saying these things uh, the pastor um, was just listening just listening and then the pastor reached forward and got some tongs and reached into the fire and got uh, a piece of small piece of wood that was burning bright and he just pulled it out with the tongs and and set it on the hearth and of course you can imagine as he did the fire began to die out until that small piece of wood was just dark completely dark and as the parishioner continued to talk then he he got those tongs and he picked up the coal and he put it back in the fire. And as soon as he did, it heated right back up again and had an amazing glow. The pastor didn't need to say anything. The parishioner probably thought, I think he's gone to meddling. <coughs> but you all know that we are better together. We are called to provoke one another to love and good deeds, to watch over one another in love. We are better together. Thanks be to God. Let me invite you to pray with me.
Oh God, we come to you this morning and we are thankful. We're thankful for the ways that you strengthen and sustain us, particularly as you do that through our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the accountability that we have. Thank you for the ways that we watch over one another in love. Thank you for the ways that we provoke one another to love and good deeds. And so, God, speak to each one of us today as to what you would have us do, how you would have us be involved. Remind us that we are better together and give us the commitment, the courage, the enthusiasm to live into that in our daily faith walk with you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the salvation offered to us through him, and for the ways that we can continue forward and live into that salvation as we provoke one another to love and good deeds. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.